I know this must be a broad place 
To know the love of Christ To be found by seeking grace To be given sight and taste To be given sight and taste Where thirsty ones can Come and drink their fill till Water of hope and mercy are Brimming and over still Where the ones who suffer From within and out can Come and taste their faith can Come and purge their doubt I know this must be a broad place the bruised and turning cheek Truth casts fears away And radiance conquers shame And radiance conquers shame Where thirsty ones can Come and drink their fill till Waters of hope and mercy are Brimming and over still where the ones who suffer from within and out can come and taste their faith can come and purge their doubts where thirsty ones can come and drink their fill till waters of hope and mercy are brimming and over still where the ones who suffer from within and out can Come and taste their faith can Come and purge their doubts morning door of hope it is so good to be with you this morning i have been under the weather so i am recording the message myself so as to not expose anyone else so if the cinematography is not what you have become accustomed to i apologize i i just want to let you know that i have been uh, just deep in prayer uh, for our church uh, this last week and for our nation and for the world. I know these are difficult times and as we talked about last week, we kind of began a conversation around how does the gospel intersect with issues of justice? How does it intersect with conversations around, around race? Uh, how does the gospel uh, speak to the problems that we are experiencing in our world at this moment in history? And I just want you to know that we as a church, we are not policymakers. We are witnesses to the truth of who Jesus is. And having said that, I would just simply say that we will continue to be committed first and foremost uh, to preaching the gospel of grace and living out that gospel. 
But we must recognize, as I stated last week, that we cannot separate our responsibility as citizens in a particular place in the world uh, from our commitment to King Jesus. We have to be very careful to not separate the sacred and the secular because our responsibility is to bring the sacredness of the gospel into every arena of human existence. And so there are times where we must act, we must speak, we must pray, we must be there with those who are oppressed and those who are pushed down. We must speak out against things that oppose the very central reality of the gospel, which is that a reconciled relationship with God is meant to lead us to a reconciled relationship with our brother and with our sister, that everyone that we come in contact with is our neighbor and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so the conversation that we began last week is just the beginning. We're gonna continue to press in to these issues and the, the challenges and the balance is always how do we stay focused on Jesus and the cross and how do we at the same time not ignore the things that are happening around us. We don't want to be we don't want to be insular, insular in our approach uh, to responsibility, especially in the city that we have been called to to preach the gospel. My prayer for Portland is revival and revival would include all people. We want to see all people come to a saving knowledge of the truth. And we do believe that the gospel of grace is the key uh, and the most, uh, the most powerful reality by which we can truly see peace come on earth as it is in heaven. So having said that, just stay tuned and I just encourage you to pray for us as leadership as we talk about how to increase diversity in our staffing and our leadership and uh, how do we how do we encourage these conversations how do we give space for them uh, who are voices that we should have speak in to these realities and so just keep praying uh, there's been a million uh, responses and uh, ideas and uh, everybody seems to have opinions about this and it's because people care. And I think that there is fear on one side that we're gonna lose our center. And then there's concern on the other that we're gonna continue to ignore problems that are very real and around us. I just want you to know that my heart has always been a door of hope to be as centrist as possible, uh, to stay balanced and to maintain equilibrium. So having said that, we're going to jump back into uh, Romans chapter 5 today. And we're going to just look at the first two verses because there has been so much heaviness, so much weight, uh, days and days of demonstrations. Uh, we have been quarantined now for months. We just got the very disheartening news from Governor Brown that we cannot even move into phase one yet. Uh, that creates a lot of confusion because there's thousands of people protesting, uh, but businesses and churches still have to stay closed. And so I just want to encourage all of you to take a breath, to be reminded once again that none of this has taken Jesus by surprise and that Satan would love to sow discord and discontentment. He would love to sow seeds of fear and depression. He wants us to be isolated. He wants us to be caught up in the emotions of what's happening rather than grounded uh, in the beauty of who Jesus is as the reconciler of the world. And so 
these verses, I, I hope, will, will re-anchor our hearts in a place of healing because we need to be centered on the healing that the gospel brings if we're going to be conduits of that healing to the world around us. In verses one and two, Paul writes these words, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Paul here is speaking to the outworking of justification. You remember, we have been justified through faith in Jesus. Our being pardoned, acquitted, regarded as righteous is not dependent upon what we have done for God, but what God has done for us in and through his son. This is something that is objective, not subjective. And this is, this is key to the victorious Christian life. I think that, that we put our faith in Jesus at some point in our histories and, and we say, Lord, I can't save myself. I need you. But how quickly we forget that we needed him to save us uh, after we become believers. And there, there's, I think this is one of the great ways that the enemy attacks us as it begins to speak into our hearts and minds, God can't really love you like that. You need to do this for him to love you. You need to be the one who works these things out in your own strength. And I think that again and again, we as Christians fall victim to trying to perfect in the flesh what God has begun in the spirit. But justification is our standing before God based upon what has been done for us outside of us. That Jesus is the one for the many and the many and the one. That he is the one who on the cross is both the judge and the judged in our place. This is an objective reality when we put our trust, our dependence upon Jesus and the work that he accomplished for us on the cross. We are made right, not by our own effort, but by the complete work in which Jesus himself said, it is finished. You cannot add to the work of the cross you can only receive it by faith. Justification is positive because it deals with our new position in Christ. This is different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is negative. It deals with sin that has been forgiven. The positive statement is that not only have we been forgiven, but we have been justified. We are put in a right position with God, which allows us to begin to move into a right position with one another. And the three outworkings of justification that Paul deals with in this passage, which is one of my favorite passages in scripture, is peace, access, and hope. So let's begin with peace because God knows we need peace right now. We are so restless, so stressed out from all that is happening. We're worked up, we're angry at injustice, but often that anger, uh, because we are told in scripture to not let the sun go down on our anger uh, and give a foothold to the devil, that often our our righteous indignation can, can even become sin as it turns toward hatred. Uh, we are being bombarded with a continual news feed of violent imagery that only feeds that, that stress uh, and that sense of being overwhelmed. We have to remember 
what we have as followers of Jesus. We have a reconciled relationship. This is our objective peace. This is why it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. Think about that. That peace is not something that is obtained. Peace is something that is wrapped up in Jesus himself. He is our peace. And in here, Paul says that in Ephesians that that Jesus, because he is our peace, that he has made both one and broken down the middle wall of separation. What is the context of that verse? Because I think that we often think of it in terms of the broken relationship between God and man, the wall that is between us because of sin. But actually, that's not what Paul is dealing with. He's actually making a racial statement there, that he was talking about the separation between Jew and Gentile, that God's God's initiation of his redemptive purposes for the world through a people was always intended to draw in tribes from all tongues. In fact, one of the most beautiful pictures in Revelation shows that what it means to be one in Christ does not mean the eradication of distinctions of races. It says that every tongue and every tribe will be worshiping around the king, that we are all made sons and daughters of the Most High by Jesus. But that's still a celebration of the distinctions. Not It's not a homogenous Heaven will not be a homogenous place. It's a place where there is equality in Christ and a celebration. It is our oneness in Christ that actually allows us to celebrate the unique distinctions of individuals. Here's one of the things I think is really important to remember on a theological basis. Uh, you never see the word individual used by church fathers to describe even God himself. God is... God is one God and three. It doesn't say individuals, it says persons. And I like to remind you, I, I think Colin Gutton said it best. He said, he said, individual speaks of who we are apart from others. And that is counterintuitive. It actually stands in opposition to the gospel while being a person speaks of our uniqueness in relationship with others. And that is why personhood is the language that is used by theologians to describe God and to describe us as the community. We have all been uniquely, we are one body, uh, but we have a, a whole plethora of giftings uh, that we are one body, but we are a body made up of persons and our uniqueness is actually discovered not in our separation from one another, but in, in our relationship, that, that servant relationship that we have with one another. When we put the needs of the others around us first, what we actually discover is our personhood comes into view, our uniqueness, but it is in the context of togetherness. And I think that this is so important, especially in a time in which we are talking about the sin of racist, racism, which has gone back to the beginning of time. People have always found a, a whole a whole plethora of reasons to discriminate against others. Skin color, race is one of those things. And I think that we need to be reminded that the gospel tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek male nor female, slave nor free, but 
all are one in Christ. That's not the eradication of differences. It's the equality that, that comes from being at the foot of the cross, which actually allows the uniqueness as we discover who we are as persons in Christ, as his body, as his bride. The objective peace that we have through the work of Jesus is that he has torn down the middle wall of separation. He has torn down the wall that separates class and race and sex. This is the reality of the gospel. Everyone is on an even playing field at the foot of the cross. I like what it says uh, in Isaiah 32, 17. It says, the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever. The peace that comes out of our position of being justified is also a removal of hostility. There is no enmity between God and man any longer. That is one of the most powerful realities. One of the false things that the enemy wants us to continue to believe is that God is angry at you. Listen, on your worst day, he is crazy about you. There is a removal of hostility. There is a reconciled relationship. And this fact must be known in order for it to be felt. And this is where I want to move us from that objective peace that was accomplished through the work of the cross to the subjective peace, the peace that we are meant to experience but often fail to appropriate in our lives. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 it says, "In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Again, in Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Think about that. God is more than ready and more than willing to draw us into the peace that is right now available the objective reality of hostility being removed and relationship being restored is that there is a daily peace that is available to us. This is why Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary. It's not a one-time coming. It's a daily disposition of leaning into our need for Jesus. Peace comes when we recognize we need help. It's when we wake up in the morning and say, Lord, help me. I need your peace. I need to fix my mind on you. Think about the things that you're fixing your mind on. If you are marked by anxiousness, restlessness, despair, anger, if these are the emotions that are dominating you, then let me ask the very simple and practical question, what is it that you are fixing your mind on? Because the peace of God is available to those that put their trust in him, who fix their minds upon him. You will keep him or her in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he or she trusts in you. Do you have the peace which surpasses all understanding? Is it guarding your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus in this time? Inner tranquility or rest is something that the, that the world needs to see. It needs to see us in that peaceful repose that is not the eradication of difficulty and stress, but it is the ability to maintain that repose in the middle of the storm. Peace of conscience comes from the mercy of God. Peace of heart from the love of God. Peace of mind 
in the truth of God, in peace of soul, in the presence of God. And when we dwell upon his mercy, his love, his truth, his mercy, that peace that flows over us actually fills us that we might then be conduits of that peace to a world that feels pretty chaotic right now. So this is the first reality that Paul speaks of in regards to the outworking of justification. Secondly, he talks about access. He says, we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We are accepted through Jesus. I think maybe we could even say we are brought in by Jesus. Jesus has opened up the door. We have access to the Father. This is why it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, that one-way love of God by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. We are accepted. We are beloved by God. We are found in the beloved. We are found in the very heart of God himself. God loves us. He is with us. He is for us and he has made himself available to us. You know, over this next week, there's gonna be a series of prayer vigils. It actually began last night. Uh, I'm actually leading it tonight, it's Saturday, so uh, you will have missed this by the time you've seen it. But it's a time where churches gather together in spots where there is a dark history in Portland throughout the city, specifically histories of racism. And we're just going to go to those places and pray. And this is one of those realities in which I think that Christians often forget the power of prayer. And don't listen to those in social media that are saying, we don't need your prayer right now, we need your action. Listen, that is so false and so not, not grounded in scripture. Prayer is a tool of great power. It is something that we have the privilege as well as the responsibility to do. God has given us access to himself. He has chosen to work in and through his people. And prayer is something that moves the hand of God. And don't ask me to try to explain or unpack how does how does God's sovereignty and our responsibility work together. Let us leave room for mystery. We are told that when we pray, we should pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do we pray to a God who is present? Because here we are told, because we have been justified, we have access. There is permanence because we have continual access. Notice what it says, we have access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. It is a continual, permanent access. That's why Paul will go on to say, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, powers nor things present nor things to come, nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Constant need and continual supply is suggested when we are told that we have access into this grace. Finally, there is hope. We boast in the hope 
of the glory of God. Christian hope is built upon our joyful, confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises, that he will put right what is wrong in the world, that this is not the end of the story as it feels like it's the end of the world. We are told that the days will grow darker before Jesus returns. And this is why it is so important for us as Christians to continue to cling to the hope of Christ's return. The glory of God is displayed in creation, but it was manifest uniquely in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And this is why our hope is threefold when it comes to a future vision of God's glory being fully disclosed. Our hope it begins with the return of Jesus. This is why we're told in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you hope for Jesus' return? I love how Revelation closes with, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Do you long to see King Jesus? Do you long to see his return? Or have you, have you stopped thinking about it? Maybe you don't even know if you believe that he's going to return. Do you really believe that this is good as it gets? No, we have not even begun to taste the coming glory. It's not that we shouldn't work to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. That is that we are to be, we are to be outposts of a kingdom that is coming in full. But right now is a time in which we should be hoping for the return of Jesus. You know, historically, every generation since Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father has believed that they were the generation that would see the return of Jesus. I believe because Jesus wanted us to live with that expectation. It is going to happen, this great cosmic event in which we will see the return of Jesus. Secondly, we will, we will see uh, it will be followed by participation of us as God's community. We will see God's image being perfectly restored in us and in one another. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we will see the new reality. For not only will there be new heavens and new earth, but there will be new bodies for us where we will live without sin. This disease that has infiltrated every arena of human existence will be put away once and for all. Creation itself will be renewed. It'll be remade. Maybe it'll be the greatest recycling program in human history because it says creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. All this is wrapped up in the return of Jesus. When we hope in the glory of God, that is when we put our hope in the future restoration of all things in the return of Jesus and our new heavenly bodies and the new heavens and earth, what that does is it purifies us in the moment. This is exactly what 1 John says. Everyone who has this hope in them purifies themselves just as he is pure. The world is wanting to see a people that are pure of heart because it says, blessed are the pure of heart for they shall see God. Pure of heart is not perfection, but it's single-mindedness. When we live with a single-mindedness that is focused on King Jesus and the belief that he alone can answer the dilemmas of the world in which we live,
It is when we fix our mind on that, that we begin to be reshaped into his image and we begin to reflect in part what is coming in full. This is why we can experience his glory now on the way to full glory. This is why it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. So I simply ask you today, do you understand what it means to be justified? Are you experiencing the peace that comes through knowing Jesus? Are you taking hold of the access that you have, that Jesus has brought you in? So are you coming boldly before the throne room of grace and saying, Lord, help me. I need your love today. Make me a conduit of that love. Lord, I need your peace today. Fix my mind upon your peace so that I can be a conduit of peace. Are you hoping in his return? Because Jesus is coming back and that hope purifies us right now in this moment. May we be ambassadors of reconciliation. May we be outposts of a kingdom that is coming in full. And if you have never put your faith in Jesus, all I would say is that scripture declares that whoever confesses with their lips that Jesus is Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead shall be saved. Trust in him, cry out to him, say, Jesus, save me, forgive me, make me new, give me your spirit. You will find the peace, the access, and the hope that is more real than anything you can touch, than anything you can see or feel. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the one who spoke in the universe left into existence. And so may we turn to him in these dark days that his light would shine into our lives and that his light would reflect from our lives into this dark world. I love you guys. And until next time, this is Josh.
to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee prone to Here's my heart, oh, take and seal.